Otani. The Angel superstar suffered a torn UCL ligament in a brief outing yesterday that will significantly impact his worth on the free agent market. What can we possibly expect of what the outcome will be? Plus, the first place Texas Rangers are in a mighty free fall that could potentially have them on the outside looking in as far as the playoff picture in the AL. The divorce could be on the way in Indianapolis as the Colts have granted permission for running back Jonathan Taylor to find another team. If so, who and at what cost? The defending champion Chiefs may have a huge void to fill in the defensive line regarding their all-pro tackle Chris Jones. The joke of a self-imposed suspension for Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh. Has this James Harden soap opera just begun in Philadelphia as he's $100,000 lighter from his comments made last week? The final week of the month is here and so is the latest podcast. It's all coming up. But first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. Especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, alright? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel as we're just seven days away from the end of August. And with that will be the end of this dreaded dead zone that we've experienced, but there's still a lot to cover as I close out the week with my usual passionate, fiery self as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and yes, just a week away from closing out this, what seemed to be forever this summer, and unlike years past, for whatever the reason, this one seemed to drag along slowly. Now, as we know, time is just flying by, zooming by, we're getting close to the unofficial ending of summer, where it seemed like Memorial Day was five minutes ago, but I digress... Let's get into what's happening because there is a ton to uncover here. As we get through this final week, we have college football being entered into our consciousness this weekend, this Saturday, with a big game in Dublin where the Fighting Irish will be playing. I'll talk about that as well as everything else that's happening. But the big story coming out over the last, I would say, five to seven hours is the health and the future of a one Shohei Otani. And we talked about this going back to the baseball preview in March. How he was going to be a big story knowing that the payday was coming. Knowing that the time and once this season concluded 
what the price tag would be for a guy who, as we know, has been, I won't go as far as saying dominant pitcher, but we'll say above average pitcher to an MVP caliber and MVP worthy, as we've seen in the past just two years ago, him winning the trophy in the American League. A guy that was going to command, starting with a five, is in $500 million and maybe in upwards of $600 million, considering his exploits not only at the plate, but on the mound. But as we've seen here over the last few hours, where the report had come out as he had to leave the game yesterday against the Reds after four outs and I believe 26 pitches, to where he has suffered a torn UCL, that's the dreaded ulnar collateral ligament in the elbow, which, as everybody knows, leads to Tommy John surgery. And for Otani, who topped out, I believe, at 93 miles an hour, left the game, said that he feels pain in his elbow, and I'm sure that the Angel Brass and the coaching staff, as well as the medical staff, all held their collective breaths to hope and pray That this tear, and we don't know the extent of it. We don't know if it's partial. We don't know if it's a full tear. We do know that he's not going to pitch for the rest of 2023, where he'll still be a DH. And interestingly enough, the Angels will make the trek cross-country to New York to play the Mets this weekend. And you know that there's going to be press, a buzz, and a plenty to find out what is going to happen with the future of this angel superstar pitcher that we've come to know and love here over the last year or so. And right now, there's a big, giant question mark surrounding his future. Now, we'll have to wait and see what the full prognosis is as far as his elbow. Is it going to be a situation where they're going to just rest it? They're going to give it the platelet-rich plasma to maybe inject whatever it is that they need to do in order to replenish what's going on in there or if it's a situation where it's a full tear then they have no choice but to go down the road of Tommy John surgery which if you recall had in the 2018 season and remember pitchers have been able now very few but with that partial tear and all you have to do is look at his fellow countrymen in a one Masahiro Tanaka because if you recall I believe in the 2015-16 year where he suffered that partial tear, and he played throughout the course of his contract in a Yankee uniform with that tear. And he had his moments more so in the postseason than in the regular season to where he was very successful. But we still don't know the big picture of what Tanaka would have been if he would have had the surgery. Now we know how good of a pitcher he was, and again, not trying to compare him to Shohei Otani by any stretch, But because he had that partial tear, it's the only bit of information or at least the point of reference that we can look back to to think about if he doesn't need the surgery, can he perform over the course of the next few years with this particular injury and be successful at it? Now, as we all know, that's going to cost them tens of millions of dollars if that's going to be the case. And you just have to wonder whether or not Is this going to be a scenario for him, his team, medical staff, etc. to really have to mull this over on whether or not the severity of this elbow, whether it's just rest, whether whatever it is that they could do to fortify the ligament and not have to go down that road and have him not be 
on the mound for the 2024 season and maybe early 2025? Or is it safe enough that, yes, he could still be an effective starter, maybe not the dominant starter that he's been at times throughout the course of the year, but at the same time, you do have to wonder, the other 29 teams in Major League Baseball, you know they're going to be super dubious on whether or not they're going to have his John Hancock on that particular document to say, here's what we're going to pay you, this is what we want from you, and at the same time, will you be able to be 100% healthy throughout the course of that 5, 6, 7, 10-year contract? Now, this is what I'll say. If it's a scenario where his elbow is still sound, where, yes, it is a partial tear, yes, September is creeping up, obviously he's not going to pitch, he could still hit because we've seen that with Bryce Harper going back to last year and then obviously being on the shelf for the first part of this year and although he's played some first base, but for a guy with his offensive skill set, we'll still see Shohei Otani put on a uniform and whether that be in Anaheim or elsewhere and we'll be on that MLB stage come next year. But if that elbow, for whatever the reason, isn't close to 100%, and I would think that they would have to look at this ligament to the extent where if this is even 60% healthy, or to the point where, yeah, he can pitch on it, but it's still a high risk, he's probably going to need the surgery. And obviously, I'm not privy to any of the information, certainly not a doctor, but... If this elbow is anything close to what we've seen with Tanaka and that he could perform, it's still going to impact his free agency come November, December. And if it's going to be a scenario where that tear is just a couple of pitches away from a complete tear, then you would think he should probably get the surgery at the end of the season. And therefore, his $500 million is going to drop considerably He still may be up there as far as the highest paid player in the sport based on what we've seen here over the last couple of years. But as far as him being that $500 million pitcher, and I even think that right now is in question because even with his elbow, if they were to come back to say, yes, it is 90% healthy, there is a slight tear, it isn't anything that we could do as far as surgery to rehabilitate it or to reconfigure it, whatever the terminology you want to use. But there's no way that a team, no matter how desperate they may be for pitching, attention, whatever, there's no way that they're going to fork over a King's ransom and back up the Brinks truck to Otani's bank account to think that there's going to be a guarantee that whether it be five years, seven years, 10 years, that they could give him that exorbitant amount of money that a lot of people were expecting he'd get, but now this throws a complete wrinkle into that. I can't see him getting that money. And now you also have to think, will there be a shorter contract? Because I mentioned five years. He's 29 years of age. I don't know when his birthday is. I don't know if he's going to turn 30 before the start of next year. And yes, he's still relatively young, even with the Tommy John surgery, etc., Because it's not as if this guy's thrown 200 innings over the last five years. But I would think the shorter contract will be in play, but for bigger money. So does that mean he's going to get $55 million a year for five years? So where he could get a five-year $250 million deal? Or dare I even say $60 million? Where he could get that NBA-like 
Jalen Brown, 5 for 304, or some of the deals that we've seen here throughout the course of the NBA where you're going to get a player that's going to make $50 million a year. I could see that happening before him getting the 7, 8, 9, or 10-year deal, especially now with the way this elbow is. And lucky for him that the DH is in the NL because if this was a scenario where this was just the MLB as of 2020 and before that, where the National League did not have the DH, he would only have 14 teams trying to procure services as opposed to 29. So think about that. But until we find out the breadth of this injury, until we get a better feel for if he could pitch on this, now we all know, forget about this year, that's a done deal. But I can't say, oh, you should get the surgery. Who am I to tell him that? Or if that elbow is sound enough to where he could pitch on it, where for the next six weeks of the season, or really five weeks, he's not going to be able to pitch. They're not going to make it to the postseason. He'll go into the offseason with whatever it is that they're going to do. Stem cells, platelet plasma, as I mentioned. Whatever they can do to avoid surgery, you know that that's what's going to be public enemy or project number one, I should say. But for anything more than that, I would think he's probably going to go into the knife. And therefore, that big time payday that a lot of people were looking forward to, that a lot of people were thinking he could be the richest player in the history of American sport, that's probably not going to happen. Now, he could get the annual. Who knows? Maybe he could compete with Jalen Brown when it's all said and done. Or even Damian Lillard, who's expected to get in upwards of $60 million in the next two to three years. But all that right now is the $64,000 question. Really, it's the $500 million question when you think about it. So, Tani, we shall see. And who knows if we're going to find out a lot this weekend right here in my backyard as the Angels will play the Mets over the course of the next three days starting tomorrow. So, stay tuned to see what's going to happen with Otani and his elbow and, of course, that free agency future that everybody's expecting the big, but now will be a lesser payday than we have thought. As far as what's happening on the field, I think the one story that we have to really focus in on And we've talked about this Monday with the Mariners who finally lost yesterday and they actually came back to tie but lost an extra innings to the White Sox. So now they go home. I believe they have the Royals coming in this weekend or even the A's. I know they have to play them here over the course of the next two series. So let's see if Seattle can continue to put the pressure not only on the Astros but of course the Rangers as well. And the Rangers who have lost six in a row. Seven of nine, and no, you're not going to see Max Scherzer on the mound at City Field next week because he's scheduled to pitch on Saturday against the Twins, who now they'll shift and go on the road to play Minnesota before coming to New York there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And you wonder if Jacob DeGrom is going to be on this trip, as I'm sure if he is, and we know that he's been on the shelf with his own Tommy John situation Who knows if there's going to be a little bit of reunion, video tribute, etc. That remains to be seen, but the Rangers are now gasping for air here as they're in the middle of the ocean, been in first place all year long. And even with the Astros nipping at their heels and threatening to see if they could overtake them in the AL West, now you have the Mariners also right behind them. And the Rangers... You wonder if this is going to be a gut check time and lucky for them that they have a manager in the dugout who knows about winning. 
It's not as if you have this young guy who is navigating his way through this season and trying to push all the right buttons to see whether or not that he could keep his team in first place or even keep his team in the AL playoff picture because let's say for argument's sake, over the course of the next couple of weeks, that the Rangers were to be overtaken by either the Astros or Mariners. And as I mentioned on Monday, seven of the last ten games, not only for the Mariners, but for the Texas Rangers, are against the Mariners. I believe three in Texas before a series in between and then the final four in Seattle to close out the season, which could be enormous and could take the shape of the landscape when it comes to the postseason. It is not out of the realm of possibility that the Rangers, for all of the success that they've had this year, and for them to continue this, I don't want to say magic carpet ride, but considering that it's been wire to wire for the most part, I believe off the top of my head, I don't think they've relinquished their AL West leading ways from the start of the year till now. But there is a possibility that they could fall out of this thing completely, considering that, like I mentioned, Houston and Seattle are right behind them. But also you have to deal with Toronto. The Red Sox, we could hold off for now, although they're still part of the mix there in the AL wild card. But could you imagine that a team that has been in first place throughout the entire year, and I saw that last year with the Mets, and I'm not going to go down that road. They still made it to the playoffs when it was all said and done. But it is possible that the Rangers could, could fall flat on their face and not make it to the postseason when we get to October 1st. I'm not going to say it's going to happen. I'm not even going to predict that. But for those who are in that region who think that, oh, we'll be fine. Oh, the Rangers have been in first place all year. It's not as if that team has a pedigree. It's not as if that team has made it to the postseason within the last four or five years. In fact, it's been quite some time since they made any hay in the postseason. And as we all know, they still are probably feeling the effects down there of losing that World Series to the St. Louis Cardinals back a dozen years ago. So... By any means, yes, they are hanging by a thread in the, in the division, but you could also say the same for the wild card. Because as it's shaping up there, Tampa's going to get that four seed no matter what. And you also have to pay attention to what's going to go on there with the Baltimore and Tampa Bay race situation because as we talk about divisions, I'll get into more of that in a second. I don't want to digress from the Texas Rangers at the moment. But because of Houston, Seattle, and even Toronto, there is a possibility that Texas could fall out of this thing. And when you look at their schedule on a whole, we did talk about those seven of the final ten games. But after Minnesota, they do play the Mets. Now they come home to play the Twins, followed up by the Astros starting off Labor Day Monday. So that's going to be a huge series. Then you have Oakland that will come to their building. And then they go to Toronto for four games. And this is what I mean, people. It's all right in front of them, as we know, but because they still have Houston, they still have Seattle, as I mentioned, they have the Red Sox on their schedule at home, but again, we would think the Red Sox would fall off by that time. That's in the middle of September. But those four games in Toronto could be the earmark of their season on whether or not they're either going to win a division or even particular, make it in as a wild card. Because remember, tiebreakers are huge. So having those seven games, there's going to be a tiebreaker issue where it's not as if they played a season series of six games and they're three and three. Somebody's going to 
have the advantage there when it comes to -to head-to-head between Toronto and the Rangers. So it is going to be fascinating to see how this is going to unfold for the Rangers down the stretch because with them now gasping for air and their offense has gotten a little south here, they haven't been mashing the ball the way they had the first three months of the year. And although their pitching has been fine, Scherzer has given them a boost. Even Jordan Montgomery has pitched well since the trade. But now you have to wonder whether or not this Ranger team is going to corral and get themselves back on the beam to where they had performed over the first three and a half months of the season and get themselves in a position to where they could get some separation away from the Astros and Mariners to see whether or not they'll be able to win a division and exhale and not have to wonder about not making it into the postseason altogether. So to me, that's another big story. And the Twins, as we know, they're going to win the AL Central. Not that they're world beaters by any stretch, but the Twins also want to see how they're going to size up against an opponent that they could see down the road in October. Is it likely? Probably not. But I'm sure manager Rocco Baldelli, the team to a man, I'm sure they're going to want to use the Rangers as a measuring stick to see whether or not that they could stack up against a team like that in their own league. So that's a series we'll pay attention to that will start tonight in Minnesota. Now to go through what has taken place over the last few days, now let's go to the AL East because I mentioned the Orioles and Rays. Now the Rays, they've played better. Even with all that's gone on there, Wanda Franco and Shane McClanahan having to be on the show for his own elbow issues. Although they're two games behind the Orioles, but they are three in a loss. So that's something you have to keep in mind. But to me, the Orioles aren't out of the woods yet. I would think they'll hang on to win a division. But Tampa, as much as they've been middling and kind of just hanging around treading water, you do have to pay attention to them because to me, I would think that they would look at them trying to win the division in order for them to get that week off so that they don't have to play in the wild card. I don't know how much Kevin Cash and company are putting a lot of stock into that, but if I'm the manager and knowing that you're still within striking distance of trying to reach the Orioles and we understand that Baltimore's had a big year and a lot of expectations are expected considering what they've done here, especially over the last couple of months, overtaking the Rays, Staying in first place, even with John Angelos and his stupid comments talking about how they're a small market team and how we're going to afford these players. All he has to do is look to Alex Anthopoulos and what the Atlanta Braves have done. That's all you have to do. And to think that he's even considering or even, I don't want to say worrying about that. I know there was an article a couple days ago in the New York Times where it had come out as far as their success this year, but knowing that the short term, although it's very bright, but we're going to have to pay these guys at some point. If you're starting to think like that, sell the team. But that's neither here nor there at the moment. But as far as uh, Tampa goes, they're going to conclude a series against the Rockies and they've beaten up on the Rockies here over the course of the first two games or first two days and they'll conclude their series this afternoon. But they have the Yankees coming into their building this week or this weekend, I should say. And we all know that the Yankees and Rays, that's also going to be a hotly contested series. But for... Tampa, they do have to go to Miami. They play the Guardians after that on the road. And then they do have Boston. Four games against Seattle. That's going to be interesting. And that's in at home. At Minnesota, the four games in Baltimore, which are going to be huge. 
And then they still have Toronto a couple of times on deck. They still have Boston at home for a couple more games. Or that's on the road, excuse me, because they do have the home games there leading off the Labor Day week. So Tampa, although tough schedule, but I'm sure because of them hanging around and Baltimore, you got to wonder whether or not are they going to hit the wall here a little bit and maybe come back to the pack. So that's why I think that race is going to be compelling to see who's going to come out to be able to get that week off, get their pitching in line so they can start the division series as opposed to starting the wild card. So that's one that, of course, you know I'm going to pay attention to. As I mentioned, the AL Central, nothing to discuss there as far as the Twins. They're going to win a division. And the AL West, of course, I already talked about with the Texas Rangers, how they're in a free fall and hanging on with Houston and Seattle right there on the doorstep. As for the National League, the East and the West, nothing to discuss there. The Central, the Brewers are playing very well. They've actually beaten the Twins here over the last couple of days, and they've won five in a row. They have a three-game lead in the loss, four-game lead in the loss over the Cubs and Reds, respectively. Three and a half in the standings. So let's see if the Brewers can continue to extend that winning streak and also extend that lead to where at least they can get some breathing room and not have to worry about the Cubs and Reds. But something tells me I still think either one of those two teams will be heard from here down the stretch. And as far as the wild card, as I mentioned there on Monday, but it'll still be the same when it's all said and done if you ask me. With those five teams. Now the Giants did win a big game yesterday. They were on the verge of getting swept by the Phillies. But they were able to hang on to salvage that final game. So although they lost the game in the standings. And now have fallen out of the wild card picture. Albeit by a half game. Just percentage points. Because they do have the same amount of losses as the Cincinnati Reds. But the Reds have one more win and one more game ahead. So the Giants with that game in hand. Not a lot of damage there. As far as getting swept, that would have been, I would think, for a team like the Giants who are trying to see if they could get themselves in the postseason and did not face a death knell by the Phillies just putting them out of their misery. But with the Phillies, Cubs, Reds, Giants, Diamondbacks, and now the Marlins, you got to wonder whether or not they're going to be able to bounce back. They had a rough weekend, losing two out of three in L.A. over the weekend and then also losing two out of three to the Padres. So, they do have the Nationals coming into their building this weekend. Let's see if they could rebound, bounce back. But the Marlins are now two games back of the final spot. Not a big deficit by any stretch, but you wonder if this is going to be the beginning of the end for the Marlins. So, we'll have to wait and see on that. Because they were just a half game back as of Monday, and now two games back as of right this moment. But we have all those teams clustered there. Cubs, Reds, Giants, Diamondbacks, Marlins. We think the Phillies would be fine. They hold a two-game lead over the Cubs and two and a half over the Reds at this present moment. And that's what you have with the wild card. That's what you have with these races as we head to this final week of August. And obviously, five more weeks left of the Major League Baseball season. All right, now let me turn my attention as I lace up the cleats, put on the helmet and shoulder pads to go through not only some NFL, but also college football. It's part of our consciousness now, people, because this Saturday, Navy, Notre Dame in Dublin, NBC 230, which will be a night game. I believe they're, what, five hours ahead. So you're going to get to see the Fighting Irish kick off their season in Ireland as the college football 
season will commence. Now, you don't have a full schedule. A lot of that will take place starting Thursday, where you'll get the Thursday night ESPN game, which right now is Florida at Utah. All right, not too bad when you think about it. And I won't go through the schedules of yet. I'll talk about that next Thursday as I'll do a pseudo-college football preview because, as we know, it's going to be super top-heavy the last year that we'll have when it comes to the four-team college football playoff. So I'll roll up my sleeves and go through it at that time. But if you're wondering, flicking through the channels, and you see Notre Dame playing on Saturday, and you're going to wonder, wait a minute, is this official? College football has arrived? Yes, it has. Or yes, it will be. So just keep that in mind as we now get into next week and a week from now we'll delve into a college football season which I'm sure a lot of people are anticipating and we know the usual suspects are going to be there at the top and I'll unpack that all on the episode come a week from today as yes, college football is now part of breaking out of the sports dead zone as we know it. But as far as the NFL goes... You have a couple of interesting developments there, especially when it comes to the Super Bowl champion Chiefs, which I'll get to next. But I'm going to start off with Jonathan Taylor. I know I've talked about him a lot over the last few weeks. And with Taylor, you have a scenario where the Colts have granted permission for him to seek another suitor as far as the trade goes. But we talked about this early on this summer. When it comes to the running back position, when it comes to the value of the running back position, unlike the other skill positions, certainly not a quarterback, not a left tackle, not a pass rusher or a cornerback. And we understand receivers get paid handsomely, even tight ends to a certain degree, much lesser than the wide receiver. But for Jonathan Taylor, who as we all know has put up huge numbers since he's come into the league, and a guy that was the NFL leading rusher, I believe two years ago, And I get it. He wants to get paid. He wants to get a big contract. And that's going to be the second question because the first question is, who's going to trade for him? What team in their right frame of mind for their offensive scheme is going to trade for this player? And oh yes, on top of that, is going to get paid anything close to, I'll just say it off the top of my head, top of the line dollar to be the highest paid running back in the sport where we know it's going to be nowhere near what a wide receiver makes, let alone ha, a quarterback. And I'm just talking offensive skill positions at the moment. Now, when we take a look at what a running back gets, and we understand it's all about the guaranteed money, if he gets anywhere near, let's just say, four years, $60 million, which you average it out at $15 million a year, and we understand it's not a lot. Look, Saquon Barkley signed that franchise tender of $11 million. So you would think that the running back is not going to get that much more, what, maybe $5 million more? And I believe Christian McCaffrey is probably making, on average, $16 million a year when he signed his deal with Carolina. And now that he's part of the 49ers, and he's a big reason or a big cog as to where Taylor will command as far as either draft picks or just talent overall, because when he got traded from Carolina to San Francisco, the picks that the Panthers got were second, thirds, and fourths. There were no number ones that were thrown out there. Now, I don't know if it was because of McCaffrey's health history, where he had a bunch of injuries over the last couple of years, whether it be leg injuries. I don't know if he was concussed at one point, but part of the trade 
that was consummated last year wasn't because of first-round picks or a particular talent that was on the roster going from San Francisco to Carolina. You didn't see any of that. So you would think that the Colts, and who knows what the asking price is for, but if they're thinking, oh, we're going to get a number one pick this year and next year as they're trying to maybe even recoup from years past. Remember Trent Richardson, the former Alabama running back with Cleveland and traded a number one pick for him, and we know that he was out of the league within minutes. They know damn well that there's no way they're going to get a number one coming back no matter how young he is, no matter how much of a career he has in front of him. I can't see that happening. Because think about it. They're going to give up a number one pick and then pay this guy top dollar. Now, granted, it's not going to be $100 million, but they're going to pay him in upwards of, let's say, $60, $70 million with a signing bonus you would think is going to be somewhere in the 40s or 50s. I can't see that happening. And this is going to be a question that who knows what the answer is going to be. Name me the team, and we could go through all the teams as to who could benefit from having Taylor in their backfield this upcoming season. But even still, he may look handsome in a certain uniform and would be as productive as any player in the sport. But oh yes, you're going to have to pay him top dollar. And no, not just $13, $14 million. I'm sure he's going to want to be not only paid the highest, but also maybe even come as close as $20 million a year. Which... (laughs) Right now, I don't think any owner or GM is going to want to do. So you have that scenario to look forward to as we get closer to the end of this exhibition season and training camp overall. And then the Chiefs have another interesting scenario with them because when we look at some of the pass rushers or some of the key defensive linemen who have gotten paid throughout the course of this offseason, whether your name is Quinnen Williams who got that big payday And he's just the example, four years, $96 million. And then Chris Jones, who's been an all-pro, who anchors that defensive line for the Super Bowl champion Chiefs, how he's holding out to week eight, and he's saying right now, as we speak, the hell with it. I'll sit out the first eight weeks if I have to. Now, who knows what that's going to mean if he does come back week eight, what kind of shape he's going to be in. Is he going to be that dominant defensive tackle that we've seen here over the last few years? So that is certainly him rolling the dice and he has every right to do that where he's going to miss paychecks, where he's going to get hit in the wallet and in the bank account. But for his future and for him to get that top dollar that some of the other guys have gotten throughout the course of this offseason, he's willing to bet on himself a la Aaron Judge last year to forego those first eight games and however multi-million dollars that he's going to miss in order for him to get paid. And as we know, the Chiefs going to defend their title. They're going to need him because it's not as if the Chiefs are anything close to that Super Bowl team that won dating back to Super Bowl IV. You don't have guys on that team that are bonafide lockdown corners or safeties or linebackers. They have a decent defense, maybe middle of the pack. But we all know the Chiefs, their identity is the quarterback, the tight end, and the weapons around them. So to have a guy like Chris Jones be extracted from the not only defensive line, but also being the heart and soul of that defense when you think about it, and Frank Clark is not there, he's in Denver right now, the other outside linebacker was a pass rusher on that team, that's a huge loss for any team, let alone a team that's trying to repeat here as a Super Bowl champion. 
So that's one thing we have to pay attention to and keep in mind here as we get closer to the start of the season and whether or not the Chiefs are going to be slow out of the gate when it comes to their defense. Now, we know they can outscore anybody, but how sustainable is that going to be when they're winning 31-28 week in, week out? Uh Uh-uh. That's not going to cut it here in the NFL 2023. And then you also have a couple of signings, whether it's Jadavion Clowney. I didn't talk about that on Monday. He signed with the Ravens one year. Who knows what he has left? He's a guy that, number one pick out of South Carolina, Texans, and we know that he's a guy that, when he's healthy and right, can be a dominant force there and a game record. But injuries, and maybe even have to worry about his motor, his attitude. Not that he's been a bad guy or a guy that's been a malcontent by any stretch. I'm not going there. But a guy that you have to wonder whether or not, whether he's double teamed or whether he has not had the numbers that a lot of people thought he was going to have coming out of college, what's in the tank? That's what you have to wonder when it comes to him and signing with the Ravens. And as we all know, they're going to need help big time. Their secondary has been depleted. It's certainly a far cry from the Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, Haloti Nada, Ed Reed defensive teams of years past. So they're banking to see if they can roll the dice and come up 7s and 11s as opposed to snake eyes, but we'll see what Clowney there in Baltimore. Miles Jack, who was with the Steelers last year, the longtime Jaguar who signed with the Eagles, is retired, stepping away. Same for Corey Davis, who also talked about stepping away with the Giants, or excuse me, with the Jets. He's a guy that a lot of people thought was going to step in when he signed from Tennessee as a good complimentary number two, if not a 1A receiver. That hasn't worked out. And now he's going to step away from football. And with Miles Jack retiring, figuring that he wants to do something else, God bless them both. Hopefully, whatever that next chapter will be, will be very fruitful for them. So kudos to those two guys. And then Sam Darnold, San Francisco. He is your backup for one Brock Purdy, which then makes you wonder... What the hell's going on with Trey Lance? Lance, remember, number three pick overall a couple of years back. A guy that had his ankle broken. Who knows if it's still not 100% as of today. Who knows if he's regressed. Now, of course, he's been a part of camp. And a lot of people, from what I've read, has said that he's taken a step or two back. And we all know, coming out of college, very raw. Has some ability, but a guy that you can't fully entrust. In the offense, and it shows knowing that he is the third string and what the future may hold for him is right now, your guess is as good as mine. And they knew that they were taking a risk, and I'm sure they wanted to have a guy that was mobile and also with a good arm, but not much of a sample size, even going back to college and a very small size here in the NFL. Him getting hurt was probably the worst thing that could have happened. I believe it was in week two against Seattle, so you didn't see him after the first week and a half. And remember, he lost that game in Chicago on the opening week where he was not effective and certainly did not play well. And I know the conditions were tricky, but still, that's the NFL, even in September, where wind in Chicago is going to be a factor. But for Trey Lance, who knows what his future is going to hold and who knows if he's even going to be on the team when it's all said and done. So that's something to keep in mind as we get to the end of training camp and cuts will be following suit. So we'll certainly see what's going to happen there. And one other thing I forgot, going back to college football, the self-imposed suspension by Michigan to a one Jim Harbaugh, I mean, seriously, to me, I compare that to a parent punishing his kid, but 
you can't go outside, but you can watch TV for an hour and you can play your video game as long as you finish your homework. To me, that's what that is. And that's a joke. And I understand that the university is not going to hand down a five or six game suspension. As it was, there was going to be a four game suspension and this was based on back during the pandemic year 2020 recruiting where the report was that Jim Harbaugh during this process had bought lunch for these kids and therefore that's a violation of the NCAA. I understand that Harbaugh, whether he poo-pooed it, whether he ignored it, whether he forgot about it, but of course said that that didn't take place. And I understand when you're paying kids lunch at Burger King or Wendy's or whatever, not to say you're not thinking straight, but you're not thinking of that as a violation as to bringing a kid on board and slipping money under the table to say, hey kid, come to this university because we want you to suit up and be a Michigan Wolverine. Okay, fine, but there's three-game suspension, and of course it's against the likes of UNLV, Bowling Green, so it's not as if they got to go to Penn State or Michigan State's coming into their building or obviously the rival Buckeyes and Ohio State. No, it's not as if... Jim Harbaugh is going to miss those games, but for the university to not only give him a slap on the wrist, but also like a, now, now, Jim, you should know better. Here's your suspension, but yes, you could go ahead and have milk and cookies before bed, and yes, you could play video game, but is your homework done? Let's double check it, please. That's what that suspension is all about, so I had to throw in my two cents there. And then a couple of other things before I bid adieu, James Harden... This soap opera is never going to end. I know that the NBA fined him $100,000 based on the comments, the liar, that I'm never going to play for this organization again. We're going to have to wait and see. And we know with James Harden, he's the type that just to cut his nose to spite his face, he's a guy that will come in to camp out of shape, as we saw a couple of years ago with Houston, when he wanted to get his way out of there to broker a deal to go to Brooklyn. So I could see him coming in with the rotund looking belly and him looking just out of shape and trying to get in shape during camp and he'll force his way out whatever it may be as he'll have the crocodile tears and I don't want to be here and who knows how disruptive he'll be toward the team toward the players etc this is not going to end well as we've seen in the other two spots the aforementioned Houston Rockets as well as the Brooklyn Nets so all I'm going to say is and who knows what was said I get it, Daryl Morey probably said, we're going to get you to this team, don't worry, we'll do our best and our damnness, and then when it didn't happen, that's when the comments of him being a liar, and I don't trust him, or the organization, etc., and of course with Doc Rivers out and a new coach in, he's going to do whatever it takes, and cry like a baby, and shake the crib a little bit, and try to be on his merry way as best as he possibly can, but who knows? That's going to be the story in the NBA here as we get into September and training camps open up later that month. Can this thing just go away, please? And again, if I'm one of the 29 other teams in the NBA, I wouldn't go near this guy even if the Sixers were to pay the entire contract. I just wouldn't. So that's the deal with the NBA and so much for Damian Lillard. And we knew that that was going to just fizzle out. As far as him trying to get to Miami, where we know Miami weren't going to be able to give up a ton back, not only just with draft picks, but really Tyler Hero. No offense to him, but you can't bring back Tyler Hero and draft picks if you're the Portland Trailblazers. You need a lot more than that, 
And the Heat certainly have players, but they're not going to give up Bam Adebayo. They're not going to give up, obviously, Jimmy Butler. Yes, they could take Duncan Robinson off their hands. They could take a few other guys, whomever it may be. Caleb Martin, sure, we'll give you that guy. But you know the Trailblazers don't want those guys. They're going to want bigger players. And as we know, the Miami Heat, other than Adebayo, Butler, they can't give up that much more. So... That was going to be a non-story once that happened. So let's see what's going to take place with Harden here as we get closer to the end of the month and into next month. And this is a story that I wish would go away. And you know me with the regurgitated narratives. It's just never ending. And I can't stand it. But I have to discuss it. But let me move on. A couple of quickies before I bid adieu. The first one being in the NHL, Jonathan Taze. I didn't talk about his health. But he's not retiring, he's not going off into the sunset, but he's had a lot of issues with just COVID and the lasting effect that that's had on him as far as his immune response syndrome and not being able to get back on the ice. Now, I know he did so toward the end of the year, I believe in the last couple of games, but now you have to wonder whether or not this could be the beginning of the end for Taze. And I get it, he's prideful, he's a Blackhawk tried and true He does not want to get traded, and I'm certain that he doesn't want to retire on these terms, but if it doesn't get any better, considering he was out pretty much all of last year up until those final few games, what does this mean for the 2023-24 season? Is he going to miss a quarter of the season, half the season? Is he going to come back at the end of March into April again with the Blackhawks, even though with them bringing the number one pick in Connor Bedard, but are they going to be relevant? Who knows? So let's just hope He has a speedy recovery. We know that the number 19, the captain, is going to have his number up in the rafters there at the United Center when it's all said and done. But let's hope that he could overcome this and get back on the ice to at least have one last hurrah because I'm sure he does not want to go out like that. And then the Toronto Maple Leafs re-signed Austin Matthews four years, $53 million to keep him in tow there as far as the Maple Leafs who are going to look ahead to this year to have a big year they got out of the first round last year but now it's Stanley Cup or bust and maybe I shouldn't go that far it should be a scenario where they should maybe even think about conference finals or bust because by them getting past the first round last year it was almost as if it was a celebration that ah we finally got over the hump we finally broke the hex of not getting out of the first round going back to 2004 And then by doing so, they got railroaded by the Florida Panthers there in the second round. So that's something to keep in mind there with Matthews, big-time goal scorer, 60-goal scorer a couple of years ago. We know a key component to that team being successful to go along with the likes of Mitch Marner, Jonathan Tavares, William Nylander, who I believe is now gone. Let me just double-check that. But with Tavares... Marner, and now with Matthews there for the next four years, you would think there's still going to be a bona fide threat in the Eastern Conference. So we have that as NHL training camps will open up in the middle of the month as we get set for an NHL season, which is about, off the top of my head, I guess six, seven weeks away. So yes, getting out of the sports dead zone. Oh, goodness. We could finally open our eyes to other sports because, boy, this has been a slog. Now, you know me. I love being on the mic. I love getting into anything and everything that's happening in sports, but this has been one sports dead zone unlike any other here in the five plus years that I've done this. So let me see what else could I get into before I say goodbye. I think that's it when it comes to what's going on. Let me see. Yeah, I didn't talk about 
the White Sox firing, and that's baseball. Small potatoes. Ken Williams was a longtime executive, vice president of baseball operations, even GM, and Rick Hahn, who was a GM, got fired there yesterday as they've been atrocious here the last couple of years. But that's all I got, people. That is what's happening. That is the latest and greatest of what's going on. And as always, I thank you for stopping by, for always carving out a few minutes, hopefully the whole hour, however long that these podcasts have been here over the last few months. Your participation is never, ever taken for granted. So as always, like I said at the top, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. Hit me up on any of my socials. If you haven't checked out my vlog, whatever happened to the old grounds at Yankee Stadium, which I released there on Sunday, please go check that out. I've had a lot of good feedback and responses and reference to that. And that's on my YouTube channel, at JReels. You want to hit me up there or Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels podcast, Twitter, JReels1, just the number or any questions, comments via DM or by email at the Podcast at gmail.com. Please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. Talking sports pretty much since I've come out the womb, since birth, child, teenager, young adult, adult, 54 years and counting. And in fact, a week from tomorrow will be five and a half years, and I understand just to kind of round it off, five and a half years and counting doing this podcast, and I'm approaching 400 episodes, so you know I'm not going anywhere. I will continue twice a week, also on my YouTube channel, social media, etc., to bring the pain, passion, fire, fury, energy, to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critique, praise, feelings, into this microphone, through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers, on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>